Good morning. It's great to be out with y'all again, studying our God and His Word together this morning. And what a great privilege and honor that is to assemble together with God's people and to be able to read His Word and see what our Creator has to say to us and to grow together in it as a family. It's a great thing and a vital thing for us to do. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 10, that's where we're going to be for the majority of this lesson. Acts chapter 10. As some of you know, that's the famous story of Cornelius the centurion, the story where Gentiles are welcomed into the gospel, where finally God's plan is realized more fully and all nations are brought to him through the gospel. And all of us know this story. A lot of us knew the contents of Acts 10 before I gave that description. I said Acts 10 and some of you already turned your brains off. You're like, I know what the story of Cornelius. But I think sometimes because we've heard that story so much, we forget the story's power. Maybe we view it like a boring history lesson where we hear the facts but forget what it actually means. And we lose a lot when we do that. Because this story has a lot to say to us. After all, it is the story of how the Gentiles got the gospel. How they were grafted into the church. Very few, if any of us, would be God's children if not for a story like Acts 10. So we're going to look at the story of Cornelius today. We're going to see what it says about the gospel message and its purpose for us today. As we get into Acts 10, the gospel is primarily a Jewish entity. As of now, the Jews are the only group that has been readily accepted into the church. We've seen a few Samaritans. We've seen the Ethiopian eunuch. That was in Acts chapter 8. But for the most part, Christianity is Jewish at this point. But that all changes in Acts 10. Uh, I'll uh, give a note before we start reading. Acts 10, there's a lot to read in there. And especially because I want to read some of Acts 11 too. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to read all the chapter in as much detail as I'd really like. There's going to be a few verses we're going to skip. Most of what we're going to skip is just going to be someone uh, repeating what we've already heard. Someone telling the story that we already read. So for the most part, we're going to just try to read through the chapter. Um, So let's just get into it. I think the best way to start into this story is just by reading it. So let's read the first eight verses of Acts chapter 10 together. Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was all his household. He did many acts of charity for the people and prayed to God regularly. About three o'clock one afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. 
Staring at him and becoming greatly afraid, Cornelius replied, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. Now send him in to Joppa and summon a man named Simon who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest with a man called Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoken to him departed, Cornelius called two of his personal servants and a devout soldier from among those who served him. And when he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So we have Cornelius, a Roman citizen, not a Jew, not a member of the nation of Israel. He is a foreigner. He is a Gentile. But Cornelius is familiar with the Jewish people and the Jewish religion. In fact, Cornelius has a great reputation with the Jewish people. Cornelius and his family fear God. He has served God to the best that he knows how to do, even though he doesn't know the full truth about Jesus yet. And Cornelius is clearly a good man seeking the truth. And God rewards the seeking Cornelius by telling him that there is going to be a man named Peter that is going to preach a saving message to him and his entire family, even though they are Gentiles. Even though Cornelius is outside of the original covenant people of God, God is going to send the gospel to the seeking Cornelius. Let's pick back up and read sort of the meat of this story. We'll read verses 9 through 23. About noon the next day, while they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing the meal, a trance came over him. He saw heaven opened and an object, something like a large sheet descending, being let down to earth by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and wild birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, certainly not, Lord, for I have never eaten anything defiled and unclean. And the voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has made clean, you must not consider ritually unclean. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was puzzling over what the vision he had seen could signify, the men sent by Cornelius had learned where Simon's house was and approached the gate. They called out to ask if Simon, known as Peter, was staying there as a guest. While Peter was still thinking seriously about the vision, the spirit said to him, look, three men are looking for you. Get up and go down and accompany them without hesitation because I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the person you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear a message from you. So Peter invited them in and entertained them as guests. And we'll stop there for now. So Peter gets this vision the sheet coming down, and a whole bunch of unclean animals on it. 
Now, Peter, even though he is a Christian, was still to this point following the Jewish law. So when the voice says, Peter, eat these animals, and even though Peter, the scripture says, was really, really hungry, he wouldn't do it. He said, no, I can't eat those animals. That stuff's unclean. And the voice from heaven said, what God has made clean, you must not consider unclean. And after the third time of that happening, Peter's sitting there scratching his head. He's like, what does this mean? And at that time, Cornelius's men showed up and the spirit told Peter, I know that Cornelius is a Gentile, but I've sent these men to you. And the vision gets a little clearer. Let's read verses 23 through 29. On the next day, he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Peter came in and Cornelius met him and fell out his feet and worshiped him. But Peter helped him up saying, stand up. I too am a mere mortal. And Peter continued talking with him as he went in. And he found many people gathered together. And he said to them, you know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Yet God has shown me that I should call no person defiled or ritually unclean. Therefore, when you sent for me, I came without any objection. Then Peter asks Cornelius, so why did you sin for me? And Cornelius tells him about the vision of the angel that we already read about. So we'll skip that for now and we'll pick back up in verses 33 through 36. Verse 33, therefore I sent for you at once and you were kind enough to come. So now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to say to us. And then Peter started speaking. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. You know the message that he sent to the people of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. And then Peter begins to preach the gospel here to Cornelius and this Gentile crowd. Something about Cornelius's answer, something about Cornelius's faith in this moment makes Peter say, I thought I got it with the vision. But I see clearly now God welcomes all who fear him and do what is right to himself. And then we'll finish the story in Acts 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, no one can withhold the water for these people to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? 
So then he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay for several days. So it seems like even though Peter thought he got the picture after the vision. And Peter thought he got the picture after talking to Cornelius. There seems to be even another shift now when Peter sees the Holy Spirit descending on these Gentiles. Because after the vision and the spirits talk with him, he was willing to come to the house of a Gentile and teach him the gospel without any hesitation. And Peter seemed to get it a little more clearly after he talked to Cornelius and he understands that God does not show favoritism in people. But now Peter sees it fully. These people need to be baptized. They have been given the spirit just like us. They are God's children just as we are. Which I think is an incredible leap from thinking Gentiles are unclean just a day before to saying in every nation the person that fears God and does what is right is welcome before him. That what brings you into the church has nothing to do with who you are by worldly standards. It doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is, how full your wallet is, what language you speak or the color of your skin. People care about that stuff. But God doesn't. God welcomes all who believe in him and listen to him and enter into a relationship with him. We could say God's checklist for what's important is pretty short. The list that Peter gives, it is a two-point checklist. Do you believe in him? Do you do what he says? That's it. That's the whole list. And that's what this passage hinges on. As Gentiles are accepted into the gospel... It becomes clear there is no Jew or Greek in Christ. None of that physical stuff matters in the church. What matters is, do you believe in God? Do you do what he says? That's what makes you a child of his. That's what grafts you into the church and only that. But as we get into chapter 11, we get a sort of appendix of sorts, the sort of extra scene after the credits where Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he goes back to the Jewish core of the church. And they say, hey, Peter, I heard you went into the house of some Gentiles. And not only that, I heard that you taught them the gospel. You baptized them. Peter's trying to bring Gentiles into God's family. Verses 1 through 3 of Acts 11 says this. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles too had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers took issue with him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and shared a meal with them. They're not happy with Peter. They do not want to lose their status as God's chosen people. We can't let the Gentiles in here. They're unclean. But then Peter goes through the whole story. He tells them about the vision. He tells them about Cornelius and his faith. He tells them about the Holy Spirit falling on these Gentiles. And to me, their reaction says a lot. Acts chapter 11 verses 
17 and 18. Peter says, therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder God? And when they heard this, they ceased their objections And they praised God saying, so then God has granted the repentance that leads to life even to the Gentiles. And that's all they needed to hear. They say, if God has decided to bring all to him, that's a great thing. They praise that God has granted the repentance of life to even the unclean Gentiles. And as we finish the story and we begin to talk about what we can learn from the story of Cornelius, I think we need to take some notes from Peter and the Jewish Christians here. That when they heard that God had extended the blessings of the gospel to all people, they praised God. And we should praise God for this Great blessing. Because we say all the time, the gospel is good news. It's the good news about Jesus. But what's the good news about Jesus? What makes the gospel good news? What is this good news that we're supposed to be telling everyone? The gospel does not show favoritism in dealing with people but the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before God. That through Jesus Christ, the Lord of God, the Lord of all, God has granted repentance that leads to peace and life to everyone who accepts it. That no matter your physical heritage or your background, God has given you, though unclean you were, the opportunity to come into a full relationship with him. And we know that because we are the beneficiaries of it. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but if, I, if you had to guess how much of the church here has direct, provable Jewish ancestry, what's your guess? I'm going to say not very many of us. Not very many of us at all. Most of us, if not all of us, would be considered Gentiles. We're the unclean nations. And yet, God has granted the repentance that leads to peace and life to us. And we know that because it's been that way our whole life. Because since we're Gentiles, we normally put ourselves, when we read Acts 10, we put ourselves in the character of Cornelius when we read this story. That's fair. He's the Gentile here. But I want to challenge us to think from a different perspective for a minute. Because as long as we've all been alive, Gentiles have been accepted into the church. That has not been a fight in our lifetimes. We have never seen that firsthand. I don't connect to that. But when I think about this story... While certainly about the grafting in of Gentiles to the church, I think it has a much broader application to us. Because there are groups of people today that have been labeled unfit for the church. People today that have been labeled as unclean. I don't think that's a problem here. At least, I hope it's not. 
But we've heard people who call themselves Christians refusing to accept people that believe and do what is right if they're from certain religious backgrounds or if they've been tempted by homosexuality in the past or if they used to be drug addicts or prisoners or if they're a recovering alcoholic or the people that live under the overpass or people who don't vote for the same candidates that I do. Sure, the church is for Jews and Gentiles both. We know that. But is it, is it really for those people? Is the gospel really for all? And like I said, I don't think that's a problem here. But I know of churches that view the unclean of the world and say, that's not the kind of people we want in these doors. That's not the kind of people I want sitting on a pew beside me. Shame on us. Shame on us if we think that there is anyone that is not worthy of the calling of the gospel. Well, none of us are worthy, but if any of us are not accepted in the call of the gospel, shame on us. If you think you're more worthy than anyone else you meet, shame on us. Because you know what the difference is between us and the unclean of the world? The only difference is we have decided to fear God and we've decided to try to do what's right. That's the only difference. And if anybody from outside these doors decides to do those two things, then they are equal to us in Christ. Fully. Sometimes we try to peel Christianity down until the church only includes people that I'm comfortable being around. We try to peel Christianity down until it's only the people that I can say, I am proud to have this person as a brother. That's not the true church. Peter says, God does not show favoritism in dealing with people, but that the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome before him. These physical judgments, these background qualities that we put up as stumbling blocks, God doesn't care about that. He cares about do you fear him? Do you follow his word? It's the whole list. But maybe Christians don't always like that. Sure, we like the Gentiles being accepted in the gospel because that's me. I like being accepted into the gospel. But maybe some of us, we don't like the ex convicts being accepted into God's people. Or the homeless being accepted into God's people. I don't think we're always Cornelius in this story. Sometimes I think we're the Jewish Christians of Acts 11. We run into Peter and say, I heard that you said the gospel is for all who believe and do what's right. You telling me that those people are accepted into the gospel You want me to spread the gospel to them? You want them a part of God's family? In Matthew 18, the disciples yet again, uh, they ask the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And I think they want the answer to be Jesus saying, you guys, the apostles, you guys are the greatest. That's not what Jesus says. That's never how Jesus answers that question. 
But he answers it in a few ways. First, he says that it's like those who are like little children. And then he says it's those that are like the lost, helpless sheep. And then Jesus kind of seemingly goes on a tangent about forgiveness, but he ends it with the parable of the unforgiving slave. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 33 of Matthew 18. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And as he began settling his accounts, a man who owed 10,000 talents was brought to him because he was not able to repay it. The Lord ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children and whatever he possessed and repayment to be made. And the slave threw himself to the ground before him saying, be patient with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord had compassion on that slave and released him and forgave him the debt. After he went out, that same slave found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him by the throat and started to choke him saying, pay back what you owe to me. And then his fellow slave threw him down and begged him, be patient with me and I will repay you. But he refused. Instead, he went out and threw him in prison until he repaid the debt. And when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were upset and went and told their Lord everything that had taken place. And then his Lord called the first slave to him and said, evil slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have shown mercy to your fellow slave just as I showed it to you? We all as Christians, we are slaves that have had a great debt forgiven us. Our master has taken that debt that we could never repay and say that debt is canceled. I have thrown that debt away. Who are we to say that someone else is not worthy of the same forgiveness? What kind of slaves are we if we do not show mercy to others. Jesus says, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have shown mercy to them just as I showed it to you? We cannot forget our place. We are children of God, yes, but we are also humble slaves. As people, we are no more deserving of the gospel than anyone else. The only difference between us and the others and the world is that we chose to fear God and follow his laws. And if someone comes into this building and chooses to fear God and follow his laws, we have no right to treat them any differently. No matter the background, what God has made clean, let no one consider unclean. There's no room for cliques and dividers in the church and maybe we don't think of this as a problem that we'd be susceptible to. And I hope you're right. I really do. But in Galatians 2, Paul says this. But when Cephas, that is Peter, the guy we've read about all throughout Acts 10. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he had clearly done wrong. 
Until certain people came from James, he had begun eating with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he stopped doing this and separated himself because he was afraid of those who were pro-circumcision. He was afraid of the Jews. And the rest of the Jews also joined with him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all, if you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That was Peter, the same man that was preaching to the Gentiles and defending their place in the gospel in our story today. He was drawn to sin by this sort of cliquish thinking. That was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He was drawn to sin by these sort of physical dividers. We have to keep this at the forefront of our minds. The gospel is for all who choose to accept it. All who choose to fear God and keep to his word. They have an equal portion in the family of God. They have an equal portion in this building. No matter what the world thinks. No matter how people might look at you if you associate with those people. The unclean of the world. The good news of the gospel is that God has granted the repentance that leads to peace and life to everyone who accepts it, even those the world hates and considers unclean. Earlier I said we're like the Jewish Christians in this story. We have heard the rumor that the gospel is for all, and maybe that's a little uncomfortable sometimes. We all love when the gospel being for all means the gospel means being for me. But... Can the gospel really be for everyone? And so we today, we have heard of Peter's vision. We have heard the faith of Cornelius. We have seen God's work to show that he shows no favoritism, but the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. And we have a choice. Will we accept that good news? Will we accept the full scope of the gospel? Galatians tells us that it is sin if we don't. Matthew 18 tells us that we are evil slaves if we refuse to show mercy to others. And so we must choose the same outcome as the Jewish Christians in Acts 11. As Peter in Acts 10, we must cease our objections and praise God for bringing life and peace to all. And we got to get to work spreading the gospel to everyone, letting them know that they have an equal place in this family if they choose to fear God and follow him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good news, for grafting us into your kingdom. And thank you for welcoming all who fear you and do what is right before you into your kingdom. Thank you for making the unclean clean. Help us to be slaves that show mercy to those around us. To be those who are not led away by the dividers that this world finds important. Not to judge by the physical, but help us to be those who See others as you see them, souls that are designed by you for your glory. 
Help us to spread the gospel to all. Empty us out as servants to you and to our neighbor. We pray all this in the name of your son, the Lord of all. Amen.